Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host Darcy with me in full effect. How you doing, Darcy? Hey, I'm doing great. I don't know how to do full effect. Do I get closer or do I move away? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do sure full you effect. Out. You're a pretty smart girl. <laughs> yeah, okay. So today we are going to jump right into our first case. I don't really have a whole lot to chat about prior to we're in the middle of this whole coronavirus lockdown jazz and we talk about it every time. So like, whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. It sucks. We're we don't have any reopen it. dates yet. <laughs> it sucks. Um, I, being stuck in the house is not my idea of a good time yeah. ever. And I know a lot of introverted people are like, yay, this is the best. But I think even those people are now like, oh, my God, let us out. Yeah. (laughs) We need to get out. I'm very introverted, so I haven't really been struggling. But I I also get to, like, take my dog for a walk or something like that. So, like, you know, that's fine. Right. I mean, having a pet makes it a little bit easier. I I Mm -hmm. think you might be going a little bit more stir-crazy if you didn't have that that pupper to. Oh, yeah. That's interact. That's with, just but. a general thing, not even about this pandemic, but yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So how is school going? I understand you're done with classes. Am I I'm finished with classes? I turned in my last paper, the biomechanics and blunt force trauma one. So um, we'll have to do a case where I can talk about all that cool stuff soon. So I'm officially right. finished. Yay. Not with school, Yay. but with classes. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a big thing. That's a, that's a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're actually going to talk about an interesting case. We're going to switch it up a little bit. I know we talk a lot about murders and things like that, but I want to talk about the case of, uh, John and Lorena Bobbitt today. Oh boy. And the reason why I thought this was so applicable is because we're so stir crazy because everyone is locked up together. Um, and you got a lot of cases where there are abusive type situations at home, domestic abuse going on and people are locked up with their abusers. Mm-hmm. So this particular case kind of hit home because I was like, wow, I'm, and I wondered if this would have happened today. I wondered what sort of reaction society would have given today. And I think that it would have been very different. And we can kind of chat about that at the end. Yeah. But let's talk about this case. And I got most of my stuff from an episode of 2020 that aired in December of 2019. There are some pretty cool sound bites on that. So like, if you want more information, go listen to that 2020 episode. It's really interesting. But um, John and Lorena Bobbitt were married June 18th, 1989. So it's a very, very interesting time in history. This is sort of uh, bookended by the Amy Fisher, Joey Buttafuoco case. Oh my gosh. And the, o- and the OJ Simpson case. It's like oh, smack dab in the middle wow. of those. Right? God, the 90s were crazy. Right? So, like, this is, you know, you've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, And this case is resurfacing now and kind of exposing some very powerful things and lessons and the Me Too movement in particular. Just, um, it's interesting to kind of Mm -hmm. put this in the center of that and kind of look at it in that perspective. But John Bobbitt grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. Uh, he was born March 23rd, 1967 in, you know, and kind of grew up in Buffalo area. So just upstate New York, right? Okay. His mother was a drug addict and living on the street, you know, homeless a lot of the time. He never knew his father. John had two brothers and they were taken in by an aunt and an uncle who were already raising four boys of their own. Wow. So kind of 
put him in that sort of a situation and imagine what is going through this young man's head as he's growing up. It is a very rough sort of a situation. The family kind of did the best they could. It was a very large family. They went to church every Sunday and John kind of set himself apart as sort of a peacemaker and he joined the Marines right out of school. He met Lorena at the Marine Corps Ball, which mm. is a annual thing to celebrate the birthday of the Marine Corps. And it's kind of a special occasion for a lot of gentlemen who get to, and ladies as well, who get to dress up in their uniforms and their dress uniforms and go to this big ball and get celebrated and, and just have a very good time. Lorena had been born in Ecuador and raised in Venezuela. So she was a South American woman. Um, she was born October 31st, 1970. So she was a few years younger than John. And she basically from a very young age knew that she loved America. She thought it was fun and interesting and she loved American TV and movies. She loved the Flintstones. She thought America was sort of a land of opportunity and she got a student visa as soon as she was able to and enrolled in community college in the United States. And that's sort of when she met John. So English was definitely her second language and she at times had difficulty communicating, but she seemed to be able to pick it up very quickly because she was a very smart woman. But John seemed like a great option to her. You know, he was this military guy, seemed like a perfect gentleman. You know, you meet somebody in a uniform like that, and it, it's very easy to kind of fall mm -hmm. and feel a certain way. You kind of understand, you know, how that oh, sort yeah. of is, right? Because a lot of women like men in uniform anyway. But there was great chemistry yeah. between these two, and they fell in love very, very quickly. She looks very shy and innocent and was there at this Marine Corps ball with a friend and he kind of approached her in this gentlemanly fashion and gave her his phone number. There was no aggressive behavior while they were dating and she knew from a young age that she wanted to get married and have kids and have this white picket fence sort of a situation and I think both of them were very idealistic as far as what they wanted in a marriage. And they just, I think, mm -hmm. kind of fell into it thinking that it would just turn into this perfect thing. But in reality, we all know that doesn't happen very often. And because of the sort of situation that these two were in, they had a different kind of a thing because Lorena was not a citizen. So her green card was about to expire and or her student visa was about to expire and she knew that she was either going to have to get work and get a green card or get married in order to gain that citizenship to stay because she knew she really wanted to stay she was mm -hmm. falling for john and and their situation seemed like it was something that was going to be a long-term viable option but it kind of pushed them into rushing into a marriage which i'm sure happens right. a lot um, oh yeah i mean that's not uncommon for military people um, to, to right. meet somebody that's not originally from the States and then to end up marrying them very quickly. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a very common. Yeah. So John says, and he claims that Lorena proposed to him because her visa was expiring and said that the marriage was that of convenience. Mm -hmm. They had a small wedding in the town hall and that it was all kind of planned and pushed by her. But Lorena says that he proposed and John claims that there was huge pressure um, from both sides. And I think Lorena kind of agrees to that, that, that they kind of rushed into this and that there was some pressure because of the fact that she was going to get yeah. have to go back home. 
But both of the parties agree that their marriage pretty much started deteriorating from the jump. Um, and then Lorena says that's when John started to become physically abusive after they were married. And she started to wonder if she had married mm. a monster. And, you know, I get it. Um, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress, particularly when you just begin a marriage. And, you know, if you're with somebody and you move in with them and you haven't known them that well, there's a lot of pressure and yeah. stress in that sort of a situation. And then you add in other factors like, you know, cultural differences and maybe he's got some PTSD from military service. Like there's just a lot of different factors in here that sort of created this perfect mm -hmm. storm in their marriage. But then we kind of fast forward a little bit and they moved to Manassas, Virginia, which is a bedroom community. There's the first battlefield of the Civil War is there. There's a lot of historic sites and that is where these two choose chose to settle in. And their marriage kind of was trudging along. They were kind of making it work for the sake of being able to, you know, her to stay in the country. And I think that uh, sometimes, you know, things are difficult and challenging, but you try to make it work yeah. regardless. Like you're trying to shove that square peg into the round hole and you just don't right. want to give up. And they're, they're, they both seem to me that they were very persistent and kind of stubborn individuals, both of them. And they wanted to make it work, even though it didn't seem like it was. But they were coping nonetheless. And in 1991, John was discharged from the military and they had no steady paycheck. Did he actually ever get deployed? Do you know? I, I'm not sure. It didn't say. Okay. And it also didn't say why he was discharged. It didn't okay. say whether it was an honorable or dishonorable discharge. But he had difficulty holding down a job um, okay. after that point as well. So I have a feeling it may have been, you know, mental health related. I don't know. But at that point, Lorena became the main breadwinner. And she worked as a nanny and at a beauty salon doing nails. Mm -hmm. So she was really out there hustling and trying to make a living so she could support her family. And she was struggling to keep her marriage alive at the same time. And we all know that when there's money issues and career issues and all that kind of stuff, that adds that extra layer of stress that mm -hmm. nobody, nobody does well with, right? So, but then Lorena got a mentor slash friend who was a wealthy businesswoman who was basically, I think, the owner of the salon that she was doing nails at. And she kind of took Lorena under her wing and was like, I really want to help you. I want to, you know, make things better for you. I want to teach you. I want you to become a better woman. I want you to, to gain a career. I want you to succeed in life, which, you know, mm -hmm. was very, very lucky for Lorena. But this woman had a lot of fancy cars and she had a boat and it sort of gave Lorena stars in her eyes, I think. And I think John saw that and, and felt very uncomfortable with that. Now, he claims that trouble between the two of them began when Lorena started hanging out with this woman and she wanted a lot of expensive stuff. And there was a lot of pressure for her to sort of keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. But then he said at that point, Lorena really became determined for them to have a lot of nice things and they started living above their means. And this started a lot of fights between them two and the relationship was very tempestuous. Like, I, I can understand it. This is, you know, a strong-willed, independent sort of a woman in this marriage with, he seems like he was more of a traditional type of a man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's not working. And then there's that struggle between that power dynamic when, you know, uh, a more dominant type individual is unable to bring home income for his family. And then you have that added stress factor in there, too, as you can yeah, probably imagine. I, like, I kind of have a problem with this, not, like, 
not that anything you're saying is incorrect just in the right, terms right. of like if you're not working you don't get to tell me what to do with my money exactly and like, I'm sure that that created a huge level of stress and I'm sure yeah. it pissed her off because she's like hey I'm out there working my butt off and you're not bringing in the income yeah. that you should be Right. So it just, what I'm saying is this adds this tremendous level yeah. of stress to their marriage. And I get it. Right. I totally get it. Right. But Lorena claims that John was actually abusive one month into their marriage and he punched her when they were driving. And Jesus Christ. she says that she was really surprised by this because up until that point he had been very much a gentleman. And it just, I can imagine when you, I don't, I don't think you've ever probably been in an abusive relationship, but the first time that it actually happens, which I have been, I've never been, well, I mean, I've, I've been in situations where there was some physical abuse and the first time that things like that happen, whether it be um, mental, physical, sexual, whatever, the first time that any of that abuse happens, you are shocked. Right. It literally floors you to the point where you, I think in some instances can't believe that it actually happened. Right. And then when you add in a sort of a, 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 a person that does it that adds that gaslighting feature in it where they're like you're crazy i didn't do that mm -hmm. then you've got this terrific situation that just builds up that is just it's crazy right but in the meantime john claims that lorena was extremely jealous and possessive during their marriage and she started physically abusing him he claims okay he says that she would punch him and yell at him and throw things at him and just uh, have sort of a general, very physically violent sort of a home life between them, that she created that. Hmm. <laughs> Do we believe Yeah, him? I have some thoughts, but I'll, I'll hold them till the end. So, but then he realizes that people are going to be like, well, why didn't she go to anyone if she was so abused? So John says Lorena never went to the hospital, but never fought back. But he never fought back. So neither one of them went to the hospital to show that either one had been abused. And no one told anyone at the time of their marriage that they were being abused. Both of them claim abuse. It is believable that you that no, neither of them told anybody. Because you, especially back then, it was like, it's, that's their business. Like, I'm not going to get involved. And maybe it's embarrassing if he was the victim of abuse for being the man if he is you know a traditional kind of guy that he's being abused by his wife i mean there's a lot of circumstances that go into why you wouldn't tell people so yeah that does sound believable okay well in any case lorena said that the abuse in their relationship carried over to the bedroom and that there was often violent sex forced sex etc mm -hmm. which john vehemently denies yes he does of course. And then Lorena also claims that she's Catholic and didn't believe in divorce, so she didn't want to leave, didn't want to end the marriage. So there was a lot of back and forth, mm -hmm. and I actually don't believe either one of them is lying or telling 100% of the truth. Okay. I think there's a little, little bit of give and take on both sides. Um, I think that there was abuse in this relationship, whether it be physical, mental, whatever. I do think that there was abuse, possibly on both sides. It's hard to say. I mean, the only one that really knows the truth is John and Lorena. And mm -hmm. how can you really trust or believe either one of them 100%? Because we weren't there to see, hear, experience any of it. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that there was abuse in this marriage. Mm -hmm. And in any case, John claims that he tried to restrain Lorena on several occasions when she became abusive. And that's when he may have hurt her. But he never hurt her other than that. All right. 
Because she was angry and violent, he said. He claims that on one occasion, she stabbed him in the hand with a fork and came after him with a knife. Which, eh, maybe. Yeah. But speaking of evidence of this, the two had called the police on each other six to seven times. Both of them. All right. There are recorded instances where both of them called the police. Both. There was only one charge of assault and battery, and both of them were charged, and both of them ended up being dropped. Okay. Okay. So, it's clear to me that there is some abusive contact on both sides of this, and both of them are really kind of downplay, trying to yeah. downplay that. It's um, just, it's not good. This marriage is not yeah, good. No. Yeah. This is a very, very, very bad situation that is just ready to boil over, and yeah. neither one of them seems like they're able to or willing to walk away from this, which just seems like, hey... If there's a fire, you're going to douse that fire and then, right. you know, <laughs> rather than just let's add some more fuel to the fire. Right. Yeah. Lorena actually, during shortly after their marriage, got caught shoplifting. Um, she stole some dresses at Nordstrom and did some community service. She also was accused and caught embezzling over $7,000 working with her mentor, Jana, who was her boss at the nail salon. Mm. So there's a little bit of dishonesty on her part that's going on at that mm -hmm. time. And Lorena says, you know, she had to do it. She was just trying to survive since John wasn't pulling his weight. And I get that. Like, I totally get that. Um, right. There's probably a lot of pressure and stress for her to look nice or to succeed right. and to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she's seeing all these amazing American success stories and wants to be part of that, but doesn't really know how to achieve it. There's a whole dynamic that's going on there that I can understand to mm -hmm. a certain degree. You can understand the, the like, feeling like yes. she needed to, not yes. the actual yes. puzzling part. Um, right. yeah. And then, you know, not yeah. knowing how to do how to get to where she wanted to get to and feeling that stress and pressure to, yeah. to where you're doing things that you wouldn't normally do. And then you're like, holy crap, why right. did I just do that? That was the stupidest thing I could have possibly done. I get that. And I'm sure yeah. that that was probably going yeah. on in his part too. Like there's a lot of pressure, pressure and stress. And he's like, you know, I have to do this. I have to be a certain way and I'm not able to. And so I just snap and I yell at her or I hit her or whatever. And then I'm like, oh my God, why did I do that? That's the stupidest thing. I feel like they yeah. both had that kind of a, a situation going on in their right. lives and relationship. In the meantime, though, Lorena got caught by Jana with the embezzling situation at the salon. And it was... They came to an agreement that Lorena would pay back the money she stole with interest and in exchange for that, that no mm -hmm. charges would be pressed. Lorena became pregnant shortly after that as well. And can you imagine? No. Um, they're in a situation where he's not, you know, working and pulling his, you know, part. And then she gets pregnant and she's the sole breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, that must have been horrific, horrifically stressful. But then Lorena claims that John told her she could not have a child because they weren't ready. And he agrees and suggested that they have an abortion. But she's and Catholic, so walk me through that. Right. So there's a there's a disagreement on both of their parts as to who suggested, who insisted. Lorena claims that he made her have the abortion, that she never wanted to, and that he forced her into it. And then he claims that she understood they had a conversation and that they agreed that this was the best thing for them because mm -hmm. there's no way that they could afford to support this child. I tend to think that he pressured her into it with a, a great deal of strong arming, whether it be physical abuse or yelling at her or whatever. But in any case, they had an abortion. I think I think both of those can be true, right? I think 
I think that he very well may have pressured her into having an abortion and her responses to him made him feel that she understood but really she didn't want to have an abortion no and she claims she wouldn't have done it if she wouldn't hadn't been forced right i believe and that, that to be true too. i am sure that she thought she was going to lose her husband if she didn't as mm-hmm. well and she loved him like mm-hmm. she wouldn't have stayed with him for that long if she didn't love him mm-hmm. she could have gone in other directions she was a very attractive young woman i'm sure she could have found somebody else but she loved him right in any case She claims that she said no to his advances on multiple occasions and was forced frequently into sexual encounters with her husband. And this is interesting as well, because as you well know, there is quite a bit of debate during this time period about what a rape is. And in many states, it wasn't considered rape if it was your spouse. Yeah, it wasn't even illegal, like up until the mid 80s that you could rape your spouse. And then I think it, it's still in many places. Uh, people have a hard time yeah. believing that a spouse can rape their, their partner. Yeah. But anyway, neighbors say she came and told them that she was being forced into sexual encounters that she didn't want. So she started mm-hmm. to express to other people at that point that something was going on that she was not in agreement with. Then it starts to rub off on her work product. So she starts becoming shaky. Her work quality drops off. She's showing up late. And then she goes to the doctor and they tell her that she's traumatized or excuse me. She tells them she's traumatized and they suggest at that point that she get a protective order. The doctor does because she went into the doctor saying that she couldn't focus and she was scared and, and different things like that. So on the night that this particular incident happened, by the way, she did not get a protective order. They told her, they advised her and told her to do that, but she did not. So Mm -hmm. there is this tension building and things are happening. And this is a powder keg waiting to explode. Mm -hmm. And she's like on the verge of having a mental breakdown because she feels, you know, she's had an abortion. Like I can't, I can't even imagine the stress and pressure of this poor woman. And, and even their marriage must've been experiencing, experiencing at this time. But on the night that this particular incident happened, she came home and tried to have a conversation with him. And he claims he told her to leave him alone, that he didn't want to talk about this anymore. But because she said, I feel like you forced me. I I Mm -hmm. feel like this sexual encounter. I feel this is not, working for me that what you've been doing is rape essentially Mm -hmm. and he's like i don't want to have a conversation about this so he kind of pushes her to the side when she expresses her concern that it's not right what he's doing cool guy right so she goes in to ask for a protective order and they tell her it's going to take a little bit of time and she's going to have to fill out some paperwork but she leaves because she claims she doesn't want to wait the three hours for them to prepare the paperwork that's her story is that she went in to do it But she didn't want to wait. Wow, three hours. John then claims at that point he told her that he wanted a divorce and that Mm. things weren't working out between them. And this is all around this same time period where she had gone to the doctor, the protective protective order was suggested, etc. He also claims that Lorena cried and begged him not to get a divorce. And that she would... I can imagine her crying. Um, her American dream was ending. Like she had thought that this was going to be a thing that was going to last forever. She was going to have this leave it to beaver kind of a life. And it just wasn't Mm -hmm. happening. I can imagine her crying and maybe being resistant to it. And being afraid she's going to get deported. Right. So uh, they discussed all this and what's going to happen with their stuff. And and I think Lorena agreed that there was a a discussion about divorce at that point. And John told her that she needed to move out. 
I think he was working at that point. To <laughs> Sorry. I just, okay. I was going to say it like, I just can't. He was working, but I, I think he was. You're not working. I'm earning the money and you want me to move out. Right. But I think he was working by then, but just not consistently and not making as much as she was. Yeah. So he actually asked a friend to come stay at the apartment with him and help pay the rent. So he wasn't gonna like be completely stuck high and dry. He was making some income and so forth. But Robert Johnson from Buffalo then came to come stay at the house and help share the rent. And that's the friend that both of them agreed had would come and mm-hmm. kind of help the situation. But I think there was some preparation for Lorena to move a discussion about it, but nothing had happened yet at this point. And on the night that this incident happened, this friend, Robert, took John out for some fun, some drinks, and they went out and partied, essentially, mm-hmm. and came home very, very late, or very early in the morning, however you want to hear about it. Lorena was asleep when the two gentlemen came back to the apartment. It's kind of interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, they had just had this conversation a few days previously about how she felt like the encounters between them were not, she had not agreed to these encounters on all occasions and that these, it was rape and so forth. So she actually had literature on rape that she'd been reading on her nightstand Hmm. while John, while John was out partying. Hmm. So he comes home and she's got these, brochures on what rape is on her nightstand and they're still sleeping in the same bed which again seems very unusual if they're contemplating a divorce why are they still sleeping in the same bedroom in any case she had put the brochures down on the nightstand and went to sleep and then john comes in drunk and crawls into bed he sees her in them and in bed and sleeping and doesn't speak but says he touched her but they didn't have sex he claims that he could not because he was too intoxicated. Okay. That's his story. Mm -hmm. Lorena says that John jumped on top of her, grabbed her arms and forced her to have sex. She said she was fighting him the whole time and that he tore off her underwear and that John said that if she didn't do it, that he was going to hurt her or something like that. In the meantime, though, John says if he did have sex, it was in his sleep. (laughs) I mean, come on. Totally. Yeah, that's a thing, right? Is it? It actually Maybe. is a thing, but um, it's a sleeping disorder, and it is not mm-hmm. something that um, you just do once. Right. So, I mean, maybe he had done this previously. I don't know. It's very, very hard to say. But this was it for Lorena. The, she, after yeah. this incident of the sexual encounter with her husband after he came home drunk from the club with his friend, she was done. She went to the kitchen for water. Claims that she had just gone to the kitchen for water, that she wasn't seeking any other purpose than that. But then she saw the knife on the counter and she was she done, snapped over. She grabs the knife, goes to the bedroom, pulls back the sheets and cuts off John's penis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he springs up at this time. Yeah. And applies pressure because he's bleeding everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really understood or fully comprehended what was going on at that point. I'm sure you would never think I'm, I I don't think you would ever anticipate that somebody would do something like that. No, but in the meantime, Lorena flees the apartment as you do Mm -hmm. when you cut somebody's penis off because you know, they're probably going to try to kill you in the left hand. She has his penis 
In the right hand, she has a knife. She drives off with the penis in her hand. I just... Wow. To me, this is like, how do you navigate a car with a knife and a penis in your hands? Uh, how do you drive a car? If there's like ever that? an argument for temporary insanity, this is it. This has got to There's be no it, right? logical reason for any of the things that happen to happen. And the anyway, continue. Right? So in the meantime, though, John wakes his friend up and his, has him drive him to the hospital. How did his friend not wake up during any of the argument or the actual? I don't know. When they're screaming or yeah. I mean, But then guy, guys who get drunk and pass out, like mm. there could be a marching band next to them on That's the couch true. and they wouldn't wake up. Like I, I've seen that happen. I know for a fact. You've seen a marching a band next to somebody? No, but I mean, like you could be standing there <laughs> yeah. screaming and some yeah. drunk idiot is not going to wake up because they're, yeah. they're so tired and inebriated but anyway they go to the prince william hospital in manassas virginia july 23rd 1993 okay that's the date that this whole thing went down (laughs) this poor urologist in the middle of the night gets this call that there's been an amputated penis he needs to come to the hospital immediately the only problem is the organ is missing yeah Okay. The penis is gone. They don't know where the penis is. This poor guy is like bleeding profusely and freaking out. Okay. Even the doctor is horrified. This is a complete nightmare. He's never seen anything like this. And he thinks John doesn't understand what's going on, which clearly probably wasn't. He's probably in complete shock by that point. He's, and he's lost drunk. about a third of he's lost about a third of his blood. Yeah. For crying out loud, from that sort of an injury. And they're going to need a microvascular surgeon, which is somebody that's going to get in there and attach nerves and, and tiny little things. In the mm-hmm. meantime, though, Lorena is driving along and realizes she has the penis in her hand. Mm-hmm. Okay. She just snaps out of it and is like, holy crap, I've got a penis in my hand. And I, I don't mean to make light of this, but it just is so unbelievable that it, it's very hard to understand any of this, let alone her driving yeah. around with a penis in her hand. But she, she rolls her window down and throws the penis mm-hmm. out just randomly in a random field and drives away as fast as she can. She immediately drives to her mentor, Jana, and tells her the whole story. She's crying. She's in fetal position. There's blood everywhere. She admits to Jana what happened. Can you John imagine hearing that story? I can't even. I would. It sounds like it would be horrific, like some weird nightmare that you just want to pinch yourself and wake yeah, up. Yeah, it really does. But uh, John, John and his team claim that Lorena went to Jana's house to get a cover story. That the two concocted this story about the rape and all that kind of thing, and that she ripped her own panties and set up this scene to kind of show that she had been raped in order to justify her actions. Okay. Like gone girl. Right. Uh, In the meantime, though, Jana kind of pieces everything together. Thank God for this woman and her uh, focus and sanity during this time when everything else seemed like it was insane, but she figured out where the penis was and told the police to go to this field where the penis had been tossed out and started, they started looking in this field and the doctor told them that if they didn't find this penis, that they would have to just sew him up without one. Yikes. Can you imagine? Well, and it wasn't, so there's, there's, I know I told you about this, but there's the documentary on, um, it was on Prime, and it wasn't the whole penis. Yes, it was a portion of it. Right, so right. it's not that he would have been like a Kendall, 
but it wouldn't have been a normal functioning penis. Yeah, good point. Thank you for bringing that up. That's interesting as well. In any case, 6 a.m., June 23rd, 1993, police begin scouring the field that Jana told them the penis was in, and they find it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. These are police. How could any training prepare you to scour a field to find a seven They actually penis? talk about that in the show. And they make a lot of jokes. Like, none of them wanted to touch it. And there's 93, so they're probably like, if you touch it, you're gay. And, like, Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And surprisingly, this penis was in great shape. No animals had found it or chewed on it. This was a grassy knoll by a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. So... John was incredibly, incredibly, Mm -hmm. incredibly lucky that no animal found this sucker and carried it off. I mean, it seems like that would be, like, the first thing that would happen. But, oh, my God. These police officers go into the 7-Eleven and get a hot dog container, Mm -hmm. fill it with ice, and put the penis on ice to preserve it. Okay. To take it to the hospital. And then they put that into a bag of ice. So you're in the 7-Eleven. You're, you know. It's an unusual night. (laughs) Six o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden, they come in with a severed penis, and they put it in a hot dog container. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, the doctor is then able to do a penile re-implementation. They use a microscope to reconnect the arteries, the veins, and the nerves. This was a nine-hour surgery. They started at 8 a.m., and they finished at 4 p.m. Everything was successful. They did a great job, but the media in the meantime freaking took off with this, yeah. and they flooded the airways. And I remember every single minute of it. It was insane. This was everywhere. It started on the local news, and then it went national very, very quickly. There were pictures. There were films. Both John and Lorena were telling completely different stories. Lorena comes to represent all women who are fed up with violence. In the meantime... Though it's going to be about a year before full function is restored and the authorities can tell if John is going to be okay. Hmm. But there were two camps on this whole story. Well, maybe more than two camps. I mean, there were a lot of people with a lot of different opinions about this whole case. But Jana, meanwhile, drove Lorena to the police where she was interviewed extensively um, right after this whole thing happened. Lorena says that he was... Okay, so this part is a little bit challenging uh, to kind of talk about, to understand, to comprehend, because I do think that there was perhaps some issue related to English being her second language. Okay. Because when the police interviewed her, she said that she was mad at him because he always has his orgasm and doesn't wait for her. Mm -hmm. So she thinks that's selfish, and that's why she cut off his penis. But I don't think that's what she said. And I think maybe the police either misinterpreted or there was some sort of a language barrier issue. And that's what it came off as. But I don't think that's what was actually said. If you know what I mean. Yeah. (sighs) This interview, though, was taped and played at trial. So Jana says that she was at the interview and she heard Lorena, but that the police took the story wrong and that... Lorena had tried to say that the sex should be mutual with both parties, but there was no consent in many um, instances. And that the language barrier kind of made her unable to sort of convey herself in an accurate way that they could understand. Mm -hmm. But the attorneys say she had no issues with English. So uh, there's some back and forth on that. 
The district attorney, in the meantime, decided that charges should be filed, but as what, right? Yeah. So they, they file charges under malicious wounding with malice, hatred, and revenge. Okay. Which could potentially end up with a 20-year sentence. But that Lorena must be responsible for her actions, according to what they mm-hmm. said. Okay. John was also charged, though, with marital sexual assault. So he wasn't going to get off scot-free either. Mm-hmm. There was some wrongdoing on his part as well, they, they said. And, and they were willing to charge him as well. Um, but John claimed he didn't have sex that night initially, right? And Lorena claimed that they did, and it was forced. So lab results proved that there was sex that night. Okay. They showed that there was DNA evidence that they had mm-hmm. had sex. She had a rape kit done, essentially. Right. But he claims that he did it in his sleep at that point. So initially he says, oh, we didn't do anything. But then he said, if we did, I did it in my sleep and I don't remember any of it. Now, there is some evidence that he walked in his sleep and talked in his sleep and and that that was kind of a thing for him. So this was entirely possible that, if not this instance, but in others, he had sort of the sleep sex thing going on. Okay. Uh, I I do think it is part of the same sleep sleep disorder of talking in your sleep, walking in your sleep. But I, I think that it is a more severe, like on the severe continuum. I don't think that you, that you do all of these things as part of like, if you have a minor sleep disturbance, I think that is, um, it's a, that, that particular sleep disorder is pretty rare. So, so now does this explain a way? Yeah. Does this excuse his behavior? I think not. Um, I think right. that there were more than just one or two instances where this allegedly happened between the two of them. And this does not explain that or excuse that in any, any right. way, shape or form. Also, I don't know how aggressive you would be if you're having sex in your sleep. Like if she didn't want to be having sex with them and he were asleep, I think that she, I'm talking completely out of my butt right now. I have no right. idea. But I would think that it would be easier to push him off of her or or stop what's happening. But I don't I'm know. Not, Maybe I'm... I'm not sure about that because, you know, if she was a tiny kind of petite young woman and he mm-hmm. was a bigger kind of muscular Marine, then maybe mm-hmm. she couldn't do that. Maybe he was just too strong for her. I, I can believe yeah. that. But yeah. in any case, we don't know the answer to that. That's speculation. And there is word on her part and word on his part. And, mm-hmm. and there's no proof either way for well, any of us. there's proof they had sex. Uh, yeah, there's proof that they had sex, but it mm-hmm. could have been consensual. It could have been forced. We, we don't know. In mm-hmm. any case, John was in the hospital for three weeks. After two weeks, he knew he was going to be okay because he got an erection. And of course, he was very, very uh, forthcoming and, and willing to discuss this on national television. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he relished the attention, to be honest with you. I don't think he liked the experience, and I don't think that he would go back and do it again if he could. But I think he got off on the attention. He definitely because, found ways to benefit. Yeah. So uh, this case exploded and all the comedy shows at the time were talking about it. There were rappers singing about it and it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, you Saturday Night Live, uh, commercials, like every like every show on every radio station had yeah. a blurb about it. I mean, yikes. It was funny. It was entertainment. That's how it was treated. Yeah, and because you've got Amy Fisher, you've got the Menendez brothers, you've got Tanya Harding, you've got Nancy Kerrigan, you've got O.J. Simpson, all that 90s craziness going on. And this is just right smack dab in the middle of it. And the media was absolutely fascinated by this case. They were enthralled. The Anita Hill testimony had been two years prior. And there was, 
this movement in this country to be aware of sexual abuse, to be aware of the power in certain things. And I think mm -hmm. people were starting to see that this was demonstrating men just didn't get it and that no means no and that there's mm -hmm. consent and there's non-consent but that was the time period where we were starting to understand that a little bit more and the public mm -hmm. definitely came down on Lorena's side they they came down on her side they believed her yeah i think but all the talk shows wanted to get the bobbits on there maury get, got the doctor and people couldn't even say the word penis on the air at that time i don't know if you remember that but there was Quite a bit of challenge. Uh, I, I feel like I'm remembering a lot of um, member. Yes. Being the word. Um, people were pretty conservative. Yeah. Like, I, I just uh -huh. definitely think this would have played out different now. But um, mm -hmm. Lorena's team immediately went on the offensive. She goes on 2020, September 1993, and tells her side of the story. She came off as very, very sympathetic and compelling. But to me, I think it was polished um, and perhaps a little bit embellished at that point because you know mm -hmm. when things happen i think that the legal team probably trained her worked with her to try to say what was going to come off best yeah. and be the most effective way that she could get the public on her side yeah okay i'm not saying that what she claims didn't happen i i would never ever ever make that sort of an, a claim or assert that in any way mm -hmm. shape or form but i do think that some of it was Maybe what the legal team had trained her to say. Well, they were both playing it out in the court of public opinion. Exactly. Like, that's how they and were having I their trial, yeah. Definitely think his side was embellished 100% as well. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. way more than hers was. But I think both of them were not 100% forthcoming on what actually happened. But okay. John's team advised him, don't do any TV shows. <laughs> Just stay away from that because it's him. And if you've ever seen video of him, he does not come off well in that no. medium. He's a garbage human. Okay. <laughs> November 1993, John goes on trial for his marital sexual assault charges. And this is a very, very interesting period of in our history. Because at that point in time, what happened in marriage was private. And marriage <laughs> was like sacred between two people. And most people would not acknowledge the rape of a spouse. And courts were very, very uncomfortable with interfering with what happens in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And so Lorena's team is very sympathetic. Uh, she comes off as very believable when she claims there were years of abuse between the two of them and that this caused her to go off the deep end. John's team, though, is just pushing. There is no indication of rape two rape kits had been performed on him on her after this happened and there was no indication of forced sexual interaction so they are saying this is definitely consensual sex there was no force okay hmm. so but we all know now that just because somebody doesn't have outward signs of tearing does not necessarily mean right. that the act was not consensual or consensual right. or whatever. And it also seems like it's a mistake for him to continue to say, well, if we did, it was in my sleep then. Right. You know what I mean? Like, because now they have to get around the fact that he's saying they didn't have sex. Yes. But what this comes down to is it's his word against hers. Right. Sort of a situation. Because... Right. There is really no evidence strongly for him. And there's no real evidence strongly for her. It's his word against hers. And the mm -hmm. jury is asked to decide upon this. And John was acquitted after four hours. Not guilty. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
I think the jury felt very sympathetic to him in that they feel like he was punished enough for having his penis cut off. Right. Right. That's not how it works, um, but okay. <laughs> right. Uh, but it did it this time, obviously. Yeah. But now Lorena has to face her trial. And she thinks they're all going to put all the blame on her and punish her. Mm-hmm. There were no cameras at John's sexual assault trial uh, for obvious reasons. In cases like this where rape sort of a situation, they typically don't allow cameras for obvious right. reasons. Right. Um, but at Lorena's trial, cameras were allowed. Yeah. Because it's a different sort of a thing. And this happened two months later, January 1994. Lorena had her trial, and it was a friggin' media circus. There were protests, there were marches, there were, like, these women's rights movements that were, like, trying to use this as, like, a foundation and a platform mm-hmm. for to, you know, show the world that women are being abused and that we need to change it. And I get that, but this turned her trial into a complete crap show. Right. There were souvenir t-shirts, there were... You know, people out selling, you know, related memorabilia. Just was insane. The only thing missing is the dancing Edos on Leno. Right? You remember that? Oh, my God. Just so crazy. So crazy. And then this is when court television was also starting to explode. Oh, my gosh. If you recall, right? I do remember court TV. Now, during the trial, Lorena claims that this was sort of an irresistible impulse. And it was kind of a temporary insanity sort of a thing. Irresistible impulse is a form of temporary insanity. It's part of the the claim on that. Mm -hmm. And that John was asleep in a drunken stupor, though this was a hard hurdle to overcome. Because if he's, you know, inebriated and highly intoxicated, like, she could have easily gotten away. So why stay and confront him if he's passed out, right? Because she did this to him when he was passed out. The defense brings up all of John's indiscretions... And anything inconsistent about the allegations of abuse. They talk to marine groups and counseling and they try to figure out, like, why didn't he bring this to anyone's attention? He had the resources if he was being abused. He claims he doesn't remember any credibility issues because they question his credibility. Um, The fact that he can't keep his story straight and that he's like, well, I didn't do it, but if I did, it was this and that and the other thing. And and I, I did it in my sleep and... I, I really do think that he had various versions of his story and he had, did have challenges keeping his story straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and they honed right in on that and were like, yeah, th- this isn't line up. But he, I think, was pretty cocky since he won his case. And yes, they bring up his history of violent behavior and dozens of witnesses say they saw violence on numerous occasions between the two and that uh, forced violent sex was normal for him, um, according to friends and family, which I don't know how they would know that, but there were a lot of witnesses that Mm. came forward to kind of corroborate Lorena's side of the story and the events that she claims happened. And then Lorena took the stand. We all know from previous encounters and TV shows and her first court case that she comes off as very sympathetic but I think if you look at the tapes from this, that her crying looks a little bit fake. Looks and sounds a little bit fake. Do you? Uh, it does. Yeah. In this instance. Okay. I think initially she was genuinely sorry. And there was, but the, during the court case, I think it, it sounds forced because she's deliberately trying to get the sympathy because she doesn't want to be convicted. It's, it sounds forced in this okay. instance. But um, in any case, 
she claims she doesn't remember cutting him. She remembers everything else right. in vivid detail, but she doesn't remember cutting him, which also to me seems a little crazy. I don't Either know. You don't remember all of it or you don't remember part, part of it, but just not remembering that one specific thing seems a little... I don't know. I actually mm. find that really believable. It's like um, a traumatic event. You don't remember the actual event, but you remember everything leading up to it and everything after it. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, in any case, the shrinks and the psychologists agree with her, and they come in. They say that she snapped, that she had PTSD. Yeah. And that she had a psychotic episode. So everyone is in agreement there that she is a battered woman and Mm -hmm. that she had the ability to restrain herself, but this was not compatible with the temporary insanity claim. John's team claims she was upset the marriage was ending and didn't want to lose him. But then why cut off his penis if you don't want to lose him? Like, I don't understand that. Maybe if I can't have you, no one else can have you. Maybe that sort of a thing was what was going on. But in any case, the verdict came in and Lorena was not guilty. She was allowed to claim temporary insanity. Mm -hmm. Okay. That temporary insanity plea worked for her. They denied her motion, though, to set the defense made a motion to set Lorena free and they denied that motion. The law required her to be submitted to a mental health institution for testing. Mm-hmm. So she was taken into custody at a state hospital, 25 days custody, and then freed because she was determined to have no threat to society. Interesting. So she basically spent 25 days in a mental hospital and was freed for her conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because she was found not guilty by reason of insanity, but she only got 25 days for cutting a man's penis off. But... Many people were extremely outraged by this as, you know, I, I, I think it 25 days is really for cutting a person's penis off seems a little light. Am I well, but off it's, on that? But it's not a sentence, though. It's not a sentence. It's a medical recommendation. Right. But uh, so she was found not guilty. So she's not being sentenced. She's going in for medical evaluation. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So she clearly did it, mm-hmm. but she was insane at the time. And she gets 25 days and then is free. It just, it seems a little convenient to just be like, oh, I was temporarily insane. And, and then I'm fine now. And I'm never going to do this again. That's the temporary part of it, though, isn't it? I know, but I think that what's to stop her from snapping and doing something crazy again like that? I think that, like, I that part of that 25-day evaluation was talking with various psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, and they determined that barring another situation like the one she was in, it was unlikely she was going to do something else. I just think that in instances like that where a violent crime has been committed, that ongoing counseling and is needed. And especially in her case, if she has the PTSD and she's been battered as she says she is, she's going to need some mm-hmm. uh, psychological assistance and help to function as a normal human being. That and may be, but not necessarily inpatient. And should it should be compelled. Um, not necessarily inpatient, though. Right. In any case, <laughs> I do remember this time period. Many people were outraged, obviously, like I mentioned earlier. Men were freaked out, claiming they were scared for their penises. I mean, do you remember that? <laughs> you know... <laughs> Yes, I do. And I just want to be like, hey, that's what it's kind of like walking around as a woman every single bloody day. Yeah. So I kind of got a little bit of a chuckle off that. Um, They were claiming that this light sentence on her part would encourage more violence. And Barbara Walters, bless her heart, claims this is stupid and ridiculous. She's like, you're dumb. (laughs) People that are claiming that letting her off is going to encourage more violence against men and their penises. (laughs) Barbara Walters, I freaking love her. 
Wait, that's what she said? Yeah, she's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> to, to, to claims that this is going to encourage more violence against oh, men and their penises. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you meant she was saying that it's going no, to encourage more violence. No, but she's, she's like That she, is ridiculous. She did an interview, and it just, I love Barbara Walters. She always kind of tells yes. it like it is. But I think she sort of emphasized as well that this shows that there was abuse on both sides and that we need to be aware of this and mm-hmm. fix the problem, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think women kind of felt vindicated by this whole thing in some instances. And that this sort of came to symbolize some serious problems in the system, that the system failed Lorena, that the nation was divided sharply on this issue, you know, between men and women. Yeah, it became very symbolic. (laughs) Lorena sat down with 2020 again and claims that both her and John were victims. So I think she's much more understanding. She's much more sympathetic. She seems like a very intelligent woman who has a good head on her shoulders. See, those 25 days helped her. Yeah. And John, in the meantime, is like, no way. I'm the victim. (laughs) It just doesn't seem to get, like, anything, even though Lorena seems a lot more diplomatic about the whole thing. But obviously, the case doesn't change things all that much. The story didn't die after the verdicts came in on this case, obviously. (laughs) You're kidding. Uh, John made quite a splash after this whole thing went down. He did a 40-city... He did a 40-city media blitz tour, promoted himself on radio shows, contests, talk shows, did Jenny Jones, which was a horrific freaking circus. Oh, my God. I completely (laughs) forgot about the Jenny Jones show. Yeah. And it seems like people everywhere just wanted to look at his penis. And this probably was like the hugest Mm -hmm. ego boost for him because he's like, yeah. This leads to Howard Stern offering him $50,000 to show his penis. Okay. <laughs> Gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he seems like he was the butt of almost everybody's jokes to me. Like, that's not like a but serious... But he was in on it, though. Yeah, but it just... he No one could take him seriously. And he decided to do adult films at that time. He wanted to show that it still worked. Ron, I... Ron Jeremy recruited him, if that says anything to you. I don't think he wanted to show it still worked. I think he wanted to make money off of the only way he knew how to make money, which is off of this horrible thing that happened to him. But he got scouted in Vegas, and the porn that he was in was were basically comedies. Interestingly enough, the porn tapes that he was selling were some of the fastest in the industry, made a lot of money. But he says he really didn't make much of that money. He only got a very small portion of it. Yeah, I believe that. I absolutely believe he got suckered into, like, a terrible deal where, like, the production company made all the money and he made... Yeah. And he wasn't that smart anyway. And he didn't didn't have a team behind him supporting him or a manager or an attorney or anything that was helping. And he... That's what happens when you're just, like, a fad. Yeah. It's gross. Um, Alternatively, though, Lorena went on to live a relatively quiet life. She got out of the hospital and Playboy offered her a million dollars to pose for them. I don't know if you remember hearing about that. I actually don't. she turned it down. Yeah. She was like, bye. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't need to. I am a strong, independent woman. Did John woman. bother to play girl? He did. Okay. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But she okay. went back to being a manicurist and she started to date again. She divorced John and met another man in a college class. She got married. She has a daughter now and a house, etc. She actually started a domestic violence foundation. Yeah. Which is awesome. Good for her mm-hmm. that she, you know, has made something good out of that. Although she's not 100% squeaky clean, in 1997, she was accused of assaulting her mom, and she was arrested. 
But this case also went to trial and they found reasonable doubt and she was found not guilty. So Hmm. I think maybe they were just keeping an extra close eye on her after this particular thing happened and maybe just a little bit too quick to jump in and and say that maybe she had assaulted someone, but she was found not guilty of that. Hmm. But on the alternative side, like I said, John has a bunch of other domestic battery charges and spent some time in jail. No. Not surprising. Mm -hmm. He explains that he just enjoys falling in love too much and that he falls too fast and claims that he picks the wrong type of women that he hangs they around make bad me people. Hit them. Right. He hangs around bad people and he never physically harmed any woman. Blah, blah, blah. Like he's You know just, who hangs so around gross. bad people? Other bad people. Yeah. But he doesn't see domestic violence as any form, just extreme violence. Like, so he basically claims he's a good guy and he's never done anything bad in his life. Even though he went to jail for it and was convicted. John considers himself a professional treasure hunter now. <laughs> He wants to get invited to the White House to meet Trump. Oh, he's a big Trump fan. Like, I think he has, like, Trump as his uh, vanity plate, according to that Prime documentary. He lives in Vegas now. Yes, he does. And he's done a lot of TV. He's been on The Insider. He's done a lot of different shows. And I think as the anniversary comes around, he likes to try to keep himself in the spotlight as much as possible. Meanwhile, Lorena still lives in Virginia, not too far from the area where this whole thing happened. But this is very interesting because this case sort of highlighted the violence against women um, that was going on and created sort of the incentive to get the Violence Against Women Act, uh, get some national dialogue about that. Mm -hmm. And it definitely changed attitudes towards sexual, physical, and mental abuse in a domestic sort of an instance. Yeah. And uh, although many people are saying, though, that the changes have been way too slow, it's just interesting to kind of look at this then and now and to know in a very, very sure way that if this case had happened now, the, the, I think the outcome would have been much different. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think that, first of all, I think just hearing all of the like names and stuff that you said during the 90s, the 90s owes us an apology. The 90s was a mess. Like all of the things that you talked about and like all of the tv shows jenny jones and jerry springer and howard stern and all of this stuff like it was just it, the 90s but joey butafuco oh my god amy and fisher like, and, the menendez brothers I, I don't remember i honestly don't remember because in 93 i was nine i don't remember anything about the domestic violence with this story i only remember like saturday night live making jokes about it and that's all i yeah. remember about um Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, I only remember them making jokes about it on Saturday Night Live. And that to me is the biggest thing that I think we would not see. It wouldn't be entertainment now. We would actually talk about the actual underlying issue at hand. And, And I think that we would have a much better discussion about domestic violence and rape in a marriage. And I think it's really clear when you talk about the things that they're both doing now right. that, you know, Lorena certainly is not blameless. What no. happened, he did not deserve that. That's not like a just punishment for what he did. I'm sure women who have been raped, you know, probably said, I wish I could have done that too, you know. Right. Um, but it doesn't excuse it on anybody's part. But I also think, like, we as a society really also failed in the 90s with, like, the way that we handle all of this kind of stuff. 
It was epic. That fail yeah. was epic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if there is a clear definition of epic fail, it, yes. it's that. I and mean. to me, if there's, like, ever been a clear definition where I've actually understood how somebody could be temporarily insane, it's this one. Like, I and can totally I, I, see her not remembering that at the exact moment. I know we laughed a lot and we, we chuckled and we made light of some of it, but I just want to emphasize people that this really isn't funny. I do think that it was physical and emotional and mental and perhaps sexual abuse on both sides. I think that Lorena is not completely innocent of any kind of abuse, but at the same time, uh, I don't believe any of the behavior that happened was justified, but I do believe that Lorena learned a very, very important and valuable lesson from this. And I do, I appreciate and like the fact that she took this and went somewhere productive with it. Whereas he just kind of showed himself to be a true douchebag. He kept being a garbage human. And that's the thing. I think that we all have choices in this life. We all have choices. You can take bad things and make good out of them, or you can take bad things and become a total douchebag that doesn't contribute anything real or productive to society. Your choice. I think certainly she's not blameless because she did, you know, maim him. That was an incredibly violent act, and she did do that. But she did her time. She served what she was required to do. And she was punished for it. And that's the end of the story. And she became a productive member of society afterwards. Which shows to me that although violent crime happens, it is not an excuse for that person to be written off by society and turned into a nobody. That we can change those people and help them to become productive members of society. Right. Don't write them off. Exactly. And I think he was a garbage person before this happened. I think he continued to be a garbage person after this happened. And I think he's still a garbage person today. Uh, well, I don't know that he was necessarily a garbage person before outwardly as much, but I definitely think that he took it to a whole nother level after this happened. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's gross, like how he, but at, at the same time, like it seems to me that he didn't really have any valuable skills for anything except being a douche. Like he wasn't really able to hold down a normal job. Like he doesn't, he wasn't educated. He didn't have anything that he was able to do except try to make money off being a douche. Yeah, but he was in the military for a reasonable amount of time. He had to have learned some skill that he could have found. A, yeah, but he didn't use any of that. Right. He didn't use any of that in a productive way. And that's, that's or the learn choice. something that he could take away. That's the choice part yeah. of it. That, that, so to me is like again (laughs) we all have choices there are plenty of people that go into the military that learn valuable skills that come out on the outside and use it in civilian life to build a very productive Mm -hmm. and lucrative life for themselves he was not one of those people people. and now he's a treasure hunter professional treasure hunter whatever that that means sure thing buddy he can keep all that right and i think he's like super super cheesy now i think he has like a red corvette or like a Miata or like some kind of something cheesy, like, of course, car. It's gross. Yeah. It's gross. It's gross. But, He's gross. But yeah. It's gross. Um, <laughs> this is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, um, please shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. On a related note, if you are experiencing domestic violence, because this is a very, very, very serious issue and very, very important right now, because I do understand that domestic violence rates have been anticipated Mm -hmm. to increase significantly now that the lock-in is happening. So we will post some information on where you can go to seek anonymous help 
if you have domestic violence related issues, because it is very important that mm-hmm. you get the help you need if you are experiencing that. Exactly. So we will post that in the show notes. Um, and then uh, social media, Darcy. Yeah, we're at the BFD podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and we will also post some domestic um, violence hotlines there, safe house information, things like that. Um, so that that is also a resource for you. Yeah, parts of this case are a little bit of a joke, and people have become a little bit of a joke in it. But domestic violence is not a joke. Correct. And we want to make that clear. In any case, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>